everyone. I must say, I'm super excited about tonight because um, if you look around you, we actually have a pretty small group. Um, we just had an entrepreneur summit in Sydney yesterday and we had um, a very, very packed room. And what that meant was that we didn't actually have much time for networking and we didn't have many time for questions. Um, and so today I think it's going to be a little bit different. I think we're going to all get so much value out of the session because we can actually talk to each other. What I'm going to talk about um, as we kind of go on is the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, and when we get to that, we'll talk a little bit more about how important having people who are like-minded is and how today is actually, you know, the start of that journey, I think, for many of you um, in terms of finding um, that right network. So before we begin, um, I want to just see a show of hands. I mean, there's a reason that we're all here today. And I think that's probably because we are in some way, shape or form, really all interested in entrepreneurship. So who here um, already has a company that they've started that they are here today to learn, to learn about how to grow? So if, if that's you, if you have a business, I want you to put your hand up. Cool, great. And my next question is, who here hasn't started a business, but is thinking about starting their first startup? I want you to put your hand up. Awesome. So I see a few hands up in the room. Now, regardless of where you are in your journey, um, one thing I want to talk about first is the importance of taking that first step. And for me, taking my first step actually started um, when I was very young. And it took a lot of courage to start. But this idea of starting something um, and having the courage to take that first step was actually something that was ingrained in me at a very young age. So for some background, for those of you who don't know too much about my journey, um, I was born in South Africa to South African Indian parents. And my parents both grew up um, in South Africa during the apartheid era. I'm actually a bit nervous tonight because my mum's here. Um, she's sitting up at the front and it's the first time that she's seen me speak in a long time. So I grew up hearing these stories about my mum and dad living in a, in a country and in cities and going to schools where people were separated by the color of their skin. So if you were white, you could go to school A, and if you were not white, you could go to school B. And the types of opportunities that you were given really different, were very different based on the color of your skin. And so this idea of having courage and this idea of being really brave and this idea of being able to be really resilient was very ingrained in me at a young age because my parents um, had a lot of adversity that they had to overcome. And so there was one quote that I remember hearing throughout my whole childhood that really um, was the most pivotal thing that I remember thinking when I started my first company, Crimson Education. And the quote is the quote, um, that you guys can see on the screen, um, and it's that courage is not um, the absence of fear, but rather it's our ability to triumph the fear that we have. And so if I take you back in time to when I was 18 years old, I was sitting cross-legged in my mum's living room in New Zealand, and myself and my co-founder at Crimson, um, Jamie, we were um, about to register Crimson as an official company. And at the time I had no idea what it meant to start a business. It was so scary to be filling out those documents because I had no idea what it meant and what was going to come. But this quote came to mind. It was 
you know, the fact that courage is not the absence of fear, because I definitely felt fear in that moment. But I knew that I wanted to overcome that fear and triumph that fear to really be able to push forward and see what was coming next, really be able to tackle that opportunity head on. And so um, I guess how is that relevant to you and your business journeys, whether you're looking to scale your business or whether you're starting your business, having the courage to take that next step is actually the beginning. And so I hope by the end of my talk, um, I'll be able to share some of the lessons and learnings um, and some of the mindset um, tips and strategies that I had that really helped me to have the courage to take those steps throughout my journey. So I wanna tell you a little bit more about um, myself. Um, and the reason I wanna to talk to you about myself is because one of the big things we'll talk about later is um, the importance of mindset. And that for a lot of people has to start somewhere. And so I, I mentioned earlier that um, I was born in South Africa and um, when I was eight years old, my family moved to New Zealand. The first time I ever remember experiencing um, adversity and feeling like I had to be resilient was when I was eight years old. So it was my first day of primary school. And I remember my sister and I, um, we were sitting at the principal's office um, at the start of the day. My mum had just dropped us off. And as we were sitting there and we were waiting to be taken to our classrooms, we overheard the principal and one of our teachers speaking. And I remember them saying, shouldn't we test these two girls to figure out which class they should go into? And one of the teachers responded saying, oh, don't worry about testing them. They're just two foreign students. I'm sure they'll be fine. And so in that moment, the tone of their voice and what they were saying felt like they didn't expect that my sister and I were going to do very well at all. And I remember being taken to my classroom and I kept hearing that same sentence in my head again and again and again, don't worry about these two. And it made me feel um, really upset. I actually just, you know, I remember sitting down at my desk and wanting to run home um, and start crying and, um, you know, run to, back to my mum and dad. But instead of doing that, I made a choice in my head in that moment when I was eight years old that I was going to be the best version of myself. And so I wanted to, to be able to prove those two teachers wrong and I wanted to also be able to prove myself right um, that I could actually do anything that I set my mind to no matter what other people thought of me. And the reason that's important is because I've spent, um, I guess over the last six months, um, a lot of time interviewing really successful entrepreneurs um, for One Life Club. And one of the most common trends is that a lot of successful people actually find the motivation to be able to achieve their goals out of situations that require a lot of resilience. And so I think having gone through something that's really ingrained in you and becomes part of you know, your everyday to be able to motivate you to overcome and prove other people wrong can be really, really powerful. And so I'm just gonna share some of that as a little bit of background um, before we jump into the actual content of what I wanna talk about. So today we're gonna be speaking a little bit about um, how I built a billion dollar company. And what I often speak about is this idea of having a playbook. For me, having a playbook is really important. It's essentially um, an outline or a series of different pillars that are, are the foundation for success. And in my journey so far over the last 10 years, there have been four key pillars that I believe have helped me and my business to be successful. The first pillar that we're gonna talk about is mastering your mindset. 
and how important it is that you as an entrepreneur and as a leader and as a founder really have all the control um, of, of how you feel every single day and how you show up to be able to achieve the goals that you have. The second thing that I'm going to talk about is the importance of technology and how technology in any business, I believe, is the greatest tool that will allow us to be able to make our businesses bigger, better, more effective, more efficient than they have ever been before. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how um, technology transformed my business, Crimson Education, um, nine years ago and allowed it to be the business that it is today. The next thing that I'm going to be talking about is the importance of building culture. So I think building culture is really important because it allows you to create scale. So, you know, here I am standing up on the stage. I'm just one person. Hi, my name's Chandra. Um, but there's only so much that me as one person can do. And if you want to be able to build something that's meaningful, you have to be able to build something that can scale. And I think that building a high-performing, highly engaged team is the most effective way of being able to scale impact. And that's why for me, building the right culture in your team is so important. The fourth and final thing I'm gonna cover off in my playbook that I'm gonna share is the importance of changing culture. Now, at Crimson, people would often ask what our marketing strategy was. And if I'm honest, marketing wasn't really a term that we used very often in the organization. The reason that we didn't use the word marketing often was because our goal wasn't just to sell people services or products. Our goal was to actually change the way that people lived. We wanted to be able to change the culture around education and change the culture around achievement. Because we knew that if we made every student in New Zealand who was ambitious and high achieving feel like they could get into Harvard, um, then that would make a pretty significant impact on the overall trajectory that they would have in their lives. So let's get on to the first pillar and let's talk a little bit about the importance of mindset. So I'm gonna share something a little bit personal with you guys. Um, a few months ago, uh, I lost my grandma and it was actually the first um, close death that we'd had in, in my family. And it was really hard, um, but also a really good experience to really think about the impact that someone very close to me had on my life. And one of the things that I got out of that reflective experience was the impact that my grandma had on being able to help me to understand that benchmarking my success could only really be done best by me. She used to always say, run your own race at your own pace. And I remember her saying it as a child all the time. It would, you know, it would be one of the things that I remember her saying, um, you know, most often when I came home from school. And at the time, I didn't really understand what she was trying to say. In fact, sometimes I got kind of annoyed and sometimes, you know, I felt like what she was saying was kind of annoying. Um, but now, I guess reflecting back on it, um, I think it is, it's probably been one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. And what she meant by run your own race at your own pace is actually that you should be benchmarking your success based on what you think is important and not what the people around you think is important. And what that means in the context of building a business is that when you're setting goals, you shouldn't be looking to you know, your competitors in your own market um, to be able to define what you can achieve in you know, this year or the next five years or 10 years. You should actually be thinking um, more blue sky. So, 
if you look to the best people in the world, the best companies, the biggest companies in the world, if you actually understand where the most innovative, creative solutions lie, and you set your goals based on that, then you're running your own race at your own pace, and you're setting out to achieve something that's truly, truly meaningful. So that's probably the first thing that I think is the most important thing that any entrepreneur really needs to understand, that if you define your own success, then you're already setting yourself up to be um, extraordinary, different to everyone else around you. The second thing that I want to talk about um, with regards to mindset is that the most important story that you will hear about yourself is the story that you tell yourself about yourself. So I want you to think about that for a second. The most important story that you will hear about yourself is the story that you tell yourself about yourself. It's kind of crazy, right? Like every day we live our lives and we hear things that people say around us. But while that's all happening, we also hear the voice inside our own heads. Let me tell you a little story. So I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine said, Sean, you are such a happy person. You're always bubbly, the glass is always full. You wake up and the sun's shining even when it's raining outside. And for some reason, subconsciously, I really attached to this idea of the fact that I'm a happy person and that things were always great. And that's not a bad thing, right? Like everyone, you know, it's great to be positive and it's great to have a great mindset. But the fact that I subconsciously attached to this also meant that it became a dominant trait for me because it was a story I was telling myself about myself. And it wasn't until I sat down and really reflected on the story that I was telling myself that I realized that I actually wanted to be way more than just a happy person. Like, I wanted to be the person who people, um, you know, thought about as being a real go-getter or someone who always got shit done or someone who they could rely on to make sure that things were always um, done to a gold standard. And when I realized that I wanted to change the narrative that I was telling myself and to make it m more than just one thing, I actually started telling myself a different story. And as I started to do that, you're probably not going to be surprised to hear that very soon after, the narrative I told myself was actually the narrative that other people started to say about me too. Word for word almost. Like the words I picked to tell myself about myself became the exact same words that other people would say about me too. And so now in my everyday, you know, I might be, um, you know, working with people who have different businesses or learning about companies that I might be investing in. And through that process, people started to repeat the same words about me that I was saying about myself when they talked about me too. And that was really crazy. I mean, imagine if you could control the way that people perceived you. Imagine that. The reality is you actually can. And that starts with you. So for me, that's number two in mindset. Make sure that you control the story you tell yourself because the story you tell yourself becomes who you are. The third and final thing that I want to talk about um, uh, with regards to mindset is the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people. So about five years ago, I remember hearing about a, a principle called the law of averages. Now, the law of averages is really interesting. Basically, just speaks to the fact that you are, are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So... Um, there are some people, some relationships in our lives that we can't change. 
our family, for example, is a great example of, um, you know, people that are around us and we spend a lot of time with and we're born into those relationships and they tend to stay very, you know, the same for our whole lives. But there are also relationships that uh, we have a lot of control over. You know, people like our friends and our work colleagues and our partners. Um, these relationships are highly influential relationships on who we become as individuals. And what's really important is that we recognize what each relationship brings to us, but also we recognize the types of behavioral traits that we start to mirror. So as human beings, we all have a natural tendency to want to be liked. And what that means is that we tend to display behaviors that we think other people are going to perceive well, and we tend to hide behaviors that we perceive other people are not going to um, respond well to or not going to like. And so whether we like it or not, as social creatures, we are super attuned to the way that people in our environments perceive us. If we can recognize that while we're influenced by our environment, we also have a lot of ability to, to actually change our environment, um, I think that's pretty powerful. And so at the start of my talk, I said um, that we're really lucky today to be in this room um, and actually have the opportunity to meet like-minded people. And the reason that I said that uh, at the start was because there are not many opportunities that you come across to actually meet people who have a similar um, you know, view on the world, but also similar types of goals and ambitions um, as you do. And I've found that opportunities to really network with people who are like-minded are fairly limited. And so what I want you to think about, and if you have you know, a little a piece of paper, we're taking down notes. One of the things that I think you should absolutely write down is to think really carefully and be very deliberate um, with who you spend your time with. Because over time, you become a reflection of the people that you share your time and your energy with. And they also become a reflection of you. And so if you want to be a certain type of person and if you want to achieve specific goals or if you want to embody specific personality traits, the most influential thing that you can do um, to be able to set yourself up for success to achieve those goals is to find people who already embody them and surround yourself by them. Spend a lot of time with them. Because that time that you spend, whether it's actively trying to learn or passively in their company, uh, actually really influences the way that you behave. Um, and so those are kind of the three most important mindset tips um, that I have in terms of setting yourself up uh, well as a leader. I think if you can do these three things well, it really will allow you to start thinking more about how you can scale the great things about you as a leader when you start building your team, which we'll get to later on. The next thing I want to talk about is the second pillar of my playbook, which is the importance of technology. Now, the reason that this is important is because technology allows us to be able to reach more people faster and better. It also allows us to be able to achieve our goals in a more efficient way. I'm gonna give you a practical example of this. So my first company, Crimson Education, um, started in 2013. Um, and when we started, we started um, basically because there was a, a problem and we were trying to solve the problem. The problem was that high school students in New Zealand didn't have access to really good quality tutors um, very easily. So a simple problem, you know, say you're a student who's in your final year of high school, you wanna nail it at history and you wanna nail it at maths. It was really hard to ha uh, find people who could help you to do really well or find people who had done it before. And so 
the problem existed. It was something that a lot of the students that were younger than I was were experiencing. And I remember sitting again in my mum's living room uh, in Auckland in New Zealand with my co-founder, Jamie, and we thought, what if we actually just got our friends together who were smart uh, university students um, and we matched them up to these high school students and then um, we let them tutor them um, and, and, you know, help them achieve their goals. That was a very simple uh, solution to this problem. You know, we had access to this great pool of talent. All these people would become, become friends with who were a little bit older. And so that's what we did. So in the first year of our business, we basically had a brick and mortar tutoring company. We had a pool of tutors who were very smart first year or second year university students. And then we had uh, the demand side of our business, which was high school students who needed tutoring help. After running the business for six months and uh, spending probably three hours a day responding to emails and updating Google Sheets where tutors would log their hours, manually checking invoices, texting parents to see how sessions went, checking with students to make sure that they knew where to go. Um, I realized that this business was great. Like we had people reaching out for tutoring support, um, you know, every single day. But what was really hard about it was the fact that I had to spend hours, literally hours every single day on top of going to university, um, actually trying to make the business work. So being able to kind of do everything related to getting a student and a tutor to match was done manually. And that's, and I remember sitting down thinking, man, this is taking a really long time. Sometimes I get it wrong because I make a mistake. Sometimes this person doesn't reply to my email. Sometimes I don't get the information I need. This is just a pain. Like it's going to be an absolute pain if we want to scale this business because there's so much that needs to happen manually. And in that moment, I remember thinking, okay, so if I know that this is a problem, like how can we actually creatively solve this? Is there something that already exists that can help me manage all the tutors and all the students? And the answer to that was no. There wasn't anything that exist, existed. And that's when, in that moment, when we made the decision to solve that problem on our own, when we decided we were going to build our own solution to this problem, which was a technology platform that would enable us to be able to provide mentoring support to any student anywhere in the world with all of the capability to track their performance and their feedback um, and how they tracked with their exams and all of that stuff, that we could actually do something that was truly disruptive. Imagine being a student sitting in your living room uh, in New Zealand, in Auckland, New Zealand, um, wanting to learn about mathematics and being tutored by a Harvard student studying mathematics who was at Harvard. That's crazy, that was crazy at the time and still now I think, wow, that would be an amazing experience. I know I'd probably learn a lot if I was a high school student. I'm going through that now. And that's exactly what technology allowed us to do. So fast forward nine years to where we are now, 2013. Crimson is a billion dollar company. We're a billion dollar company, not because we have the most tutors in the world, not because we've supported the most students. We're a billion dollar company because we've built a platform, we've built infrastructure, we've built insights through all the data that we've been able to collect that's actually really helped us to scale this experience to students in 24 countries all around the world. And without the technology that we built, we would not be able to do that. So as Crimson evolved, we moved from being a brick and mortar tutoring company to a, an online tutoring company that was facilitated by technology that we had built to an ed tech company that was being able to deliver a monumental service to students all around the world to now also having one of the world's leading online high schools. 
and that iteration and 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 the development that our company had over time in terms of what we were able to offer people the value we were able to give students in you know Vietnam and in South Africa and in um, Brazil in Australia and New Zealand and China and Russia actually came from the fact that we had the technology that would allow them to achieve their goals the technology that would allow them to connect to the best people in the world and so my key takeaway here is that a true entrepreneur is a problem solver. So if, if someone asks you, like, if someone asks me, I should say, uh, like, what do you do? What do you do now? Or what's your, what do you, what's your job? I find it really hard to answer that question because I do a lot of things. But in its essence, basically what I spend most of my time doing every day is problem solving. And this example of what we were able to do at Crimson, solve this problem, build this technology, is a great example of what, what I think or the way that I think successful entrepreneurs think. What are new innovative ways to solve problems? Something I'll just quickly touch on is the fact that I think for many interesting solutions, the, uh, the answer is, is typically quite obvious. Like it's normally something that's right in front of you that maybe you're not seeing because you're so busy with everything that's happen happening around you. But also the answer tends to be a solution that normally is um, the intersection of lots of different ideas. And so if you'd asked the teacher to solve this problem of how you tutor students all around the world with Harvard mentors, um, the answer would have been totally different because perhaps they were looking at it from one lens. But the reason that myself and my co-founder, you know, at age 19, were able to conceptualize a technology platform that allowed us to achieve what we did was because we were coming into it with no preconceived notion and we were also looking at it from many different angles. So I want you to think about how you can solve problems and how you can create disruptive solutions by using the intersection of different disciplines and ideas and who you can bring into your ecosystem and circle to be able to solve problems better. The third pillar that I told you that we were gonna speak about was building culture. Now, for me, the idea of building culture is really important because it allows you to scale your impact as a leader. You can't do everything on your own. Um, and I think it's pretty naive to think that you can. Um, and the only way that you're going to ever be able to um, build something, build a company that um, can reach people you know, all over the world or reach people all over your city or all over the country um, is if you have a really great team who can support you with your, uh, support you to do the things that you enjoy and don't enjoy and support you with the things that you're not so good at and allow you to spend time on the things that you're, you're good at. Um, now, building a team is really important, um, but you can't just put people in a room and expect it to all work. So culture becomes, for me, the most important underpinning dynamic um, that allows teams to work well together. So what is culture? Culture is a shared set of beliefs and values that a group has. So that might sound a little bit wordy, but essentially, if you think about uh, your family, and if you think about the three or four things that might characterize your family as a group, those three or four things are the culture that you all share. So it's the shared behaviors that you have, it's the shared values that you have, and your culture within your family might be different to the culture that you have in your friend group or the culture that you have at work. So because they're different groups of people, the shared values and beliefs um, will look different. Now, I read this book, um, that really changed my view on culture a few years ago called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Highly recommend it for anyone who's looking to grow as a leader. 
and it basically talked about what the characteristics of a high-performing team were. And I want to talk about what some of these were with you. So what does high performance actually look like um, in terms of team and team culture? Number one, um, it starts with a leader who is really honest with themselves. So you can't build a high-performing culture. You can't build an engaging culture. You can't build a happy culture um, if you are not honest with yourself about the type of leader that you are. Now, the reason that's really important is because any type of culture is built from the top. So it's built by the behaviors that you demonstrate and you role model every single day. If you say that it's important to be hardworking, but you leave the office at two o'clock every day and you, you, um, you know, you head home and you go suntan on the beach, um, but you expect everyone else to stay behind until the end of the day, um, you're not going to be, it's going to be very difficult for you to build the culture, that hardworking culture that you want. Um, so it's really important that you think super carefully about what you want your team to embody, why you want them to embody it, and then how you actually embody those things as, um, as a leader yourself. So that's the first place to start. Um, it's, it's about really reflecting on what your good traits are, what your bad traits are, and then what you want to scale and what you don't want to scale um, um, in your team. The second thing that is really important um, with building culture and generally building a high-performing team is consistency. So Rome wasn't built in a day, and one of the most important principles, I think, across the board um, for any leader to understand is that progress is incremental, and that stands true for culture. Um, and what that means is that you have to show up every day and embody the same traits that you want your team to, to embody. And unfortunately, um, trust and, um, and predictability are things that are built over time, and they take a really long time for people around you to be able to um, to build high trust with you or to be able to really um, feel like you're a predictable leader. And what that means is that if you aren't consistent, say you slip up one day or say you make an offhanded comment um, and it's perceived by your team and the people around you to be um, opposing to the values that you say are important, um, you lose all credibility. And as a leader, it takes a very long time for you to build it back, probably far longer than anyone else because um, because you're the person who's meant to be role modeling the behavior yourself. So being consistent with the traits and behaviors that you say are important is really key. The third thing that I think is critical is understanding that um, in high performing cultures, um, there's a notion that success is built on the margin. Now, again, that might sound a little bit wordy, so I'm gonna give you guys a, a practical example of this. I want everyone in the room to raise your hand and raise it as high as you possibly can. So put your hand up. I don't see many hands going up, so everyone's hands need, need to go up, please. Now make sure, um, remember my instruction was put your hand up as high as you possibly can. Cool. Now I want you to just put your hand up a tiny bit higher. Cool, so I've just literally seen the room, hands were here and then they went a little bit higher. Um, now you can put your hands down. <laughs> Success being built on the margin for me in the context of a high performing team means that we understand that if we say we want to put our hands up the absolute highest they can go, they go straight up there the first time. That little extra piece that you managed to push when I asked you to go even higher is the margin for me. So I think that if there are two teams, if there's a team where everyone puts their hand up as high as they can, like everyone here did the first time and 
we think it's the highest it can go, but it's not actually the highest it can go. And it's there, everyone in team A, their, their hands stay there. And then there's team B where everyone puts their hand up, but they actually make that extra reach right at the end, but they do it the first time around. And that's team B. Whose hands do you think are going to be higher? Team B's, right? Because you typically only get one shot at being able to put your, your best foot forward. And so in high-performing cultures, this idea of pushing to the edge of the margin first is really, really important. And then the, the last piece on this um, that I think uh, is critical is really understanding that hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle. And so um, I'll give you guys an example. So take, say you have two people who are equally as smart, um, but one person just works a little bit harder than the other. Who do you think is going to win if they were being challenged um, to do the same task? Probably the person who hustles a little bit more and works a bit harder. And so for me, something that I've noticed is that really building a culture of being very passionate about what you do, working really hard at the goals that you have, and really pushing towards them um, is really critical. And if you asked me to choose to hire someone now, and if you gave me a super, super smart person who lacked ambition and lacked drive, and you gave me an average person who had a lot of ambition, a lot of drive, I'll pick the average person who has the ambition and drive every single day of the week because I know that they're going to contribute towards the high-performing culture that we want. So those are some of the lessons that I learned, um, both from the book that I, sh that I mentioned earlier and from my own experience in terms of building high-performance um, cultures and teams. So the last thing I want to talk a little bit about um, before we move on to questions is the fourth and final pillar of this playbook that I've been sharing with you. And the fourth and final pillar for me is not building culture, but rather changing culture. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about this. Um, and I mentioned um, you know, earlier that at Crimson, we didn't use the word marketing very much um, because we were so focused on changing the way that people chose to make decisions about where they went to university and what goals they set themselves as opposed to just selling them tutoring services. The reason that we did that was very intentional. The reason we did that was because we weren't focused on making a dollar today. We were focused on changing the way that people saw their ability to achieve. And we were changing the way that people, um, you know, the culture around student achievement. We started doing that just in New Zealand, but we very quickly saw that culture change happen quite fast, which was why we started to scale the business. Now, our approach to changing culture isn't actually just unique to us as a business. It's something that many of the biggest companies in the world um, actually focus on too. So many of the biggest companies in the world don't focus on how much they can sell of something. What they actually focus on is how people consume. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, let's actually talk about Amazon. So Amazon's, I think, a great example. Amazon actually started as a bookstore. I don't know if many of you know that, but obviously now they're so much more than that. Um, and when Amazon thinks about their strategy for growth, they're not just thinking about how they can get more products on the platform to be able to sell. They're thinking about you as the end user who's buying and how they can actually get you to change from shopping in person at brick and mortar retail stores to shopping online and getting your stuff on Amazon Prime the next day. And so that shift that they've made and the mindset that they have around strategic marketing and solving a problem, changing a culture, um, and changing the way that you live your life has actually helped them be one of the biggest companies in the world. Another example is Uber. So before Uber came, came along, um, 
uh, let's cast our minds back to, um, let's say, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, if you wanted to get somewhere and you didn't have a car, what would you do? You'd call up a taxi company. You'd say, hey, I'm at the Melbourne Convention Centre. I'm going to need a taxi in an hour, an hour and a half. I'll be waiting here. Can you please come and pick me up? And then you'd have to make sure you're waiting there. You'd have to make sure you were finished in an hour and a half. And you have to make sure you find the taxi guy who has the same number plate as the person that, you know, that gave it to you on the phone. And so that, that whole process requires a whole lot more foresight and thought than just clicking a button on your phone. Uber came into the market and they totally changed the way that we consume. They totally changed the way that we consume transport every single day. How many people here took an Uber, have taken an Uber in the last week? I'm seeing a lot of hands, particularly at the back there. And so, again, what I want you guys to think about in your businesses is how do you change the culture around whatever you're, you're trying to, problem you're trying to solve? It's not about marketing. Um, I think if you only think about it from a dollar perspective right now, you're not setting yourself up to actually be um, the most impactful um, business that you can. Um, I'm not going to speak about LVMH too much because I think Simon's going to talk a little bit about that in his talk. So I'll leave that um, to him. And then the last thing I'll, I'll just kind of leave you with before we jump to some of the questions is one of my favorite quotes. And it's something that I, you know, I live my life by, but it's also something that in all of the teams that I work with, we really try and embody. And it's this idea that if you want to be extraordinary, really what you have to do is just start by looking at the word extraordinary, right? So extraordinary is extraordinary. Um, and so if you want to do and be more than ordinary, you actually have to be more than ordinary. So um, I think you have to think outside the box. You have to solve problems in a different way. And you have to be really courageous in how you do that. Because oftentimes when you're being extraordinary, you're doing something that no one else has done before. And that takes a lot of courage. Um, and so I, I hope that, um, you know, this quote can be something that a lot of you in this room as entrepreneurs and inspiring entrepreneurs can really think about. Um, because I think a lot of people try and build businesses, but they try and do a lot of the same thing that's happening around them. And doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome is literally the definition of insanity. So I think being really innovative um, and really trying to be more than what's happening around you is really the key um, to building um, you know, a great success. So we've got a little bit of time left. Um, and I wanted to share um, some of the questions that the One Life Club community have asked, because I'm sure they're questions that some of you are thinking about too. Um, and these were questions that came through specifically for me and my journey. Um, and one of the most popular kind of themes that came through was um, the idea of scaling. Um, and so people ask things like, um, how do I scale my business? How do I scale my business from 500K onwards? What's the, most important, uh, what's the most important thing when scaling from a million dollars to $10 million in revenue? Um, and these are all great questions. Um, unfortunately, they're all classes in themselves. So I'll give you a quick overview um, on how I think about this. Uh, the first thing that I think about is really being able to identify what's worked well for your business to get it to where it is now. So if, you're doing, if you have a business that's doing 200, 300, 400, 500K in revenue and is profitable, um, what is it that's actually allowed you to get there? I would actually write that down and I'd really think about if I was going to do this again, what would I do again? For me, having that as like a growth playbook, so kind of similar to what we just talked about, but specifically focused on growth, um, really gives you a good indication of what you should do in another market. At Crimson, 
we we spent the first year and a half writing this growth playbook, which was a physical, actual document um, uh, of what worked for us in New Zealand. And then once we knew what worked for us in New Zealand, we did the same thing in Australia. We did it in Canberra and we did it in Sydney and it worked miraculously, um, you know, worked almost the same. And so um, I think that's a great starting point for figuring out how to scale your business. Um, now, if you're interested in learning more about how to scale your business, we actually, I've actually done a full class on this um, and you can find it on the One Life Club app, which if everyone here has a phone, I really recommend you download um, because uh, two reasons. One is you can access classes like this. Um, you can access classes and interviews from people who are way smarter than I am and have done, um, you know, built businesses that are fantastic in other verticals too. Um, but also you can uh, connect with each other. You're going to meet, uh, ama there are amazing people in this room. Um, and I'm just one person sharing my story. You're going to hear from some other amazing entrepreneurs, but you know, we're just people who are on the stage. In this room, there are people who have built um, and, and done really fantastic things um, with their businesses too. And so I want everyone um, to get your phone out, download the One Life Club app. Um, and when you do, um, if you click on community, myself, Simon, Dane and Emil will actually be um, in these groups responding to questions. So if there are specific questions that you have about your business, love for you to go in there, ask them in the group, you'll hear directly from us and you'll also be able to connect with other people who are here too. Um, and so I'm going to uh, wrap up um, here and I'm going to say thank you so much um, for coming along. I think taking this first step, as I was saying at the start, is, you know, the most important. It often requires the most courage. And I think building a network of people who really allow you to be the best version of yourself is the most important way of being able to set yourself up to have an environment that supports your goals. So thank you for being here. Um, and ho I hope that you've been able to take um, some really fantastic lessons away from um, my growth playbook of building Crimson Education, which is now New Zealand's, uh, one of New Zealand's newest um, billion dollar companies. Thank you.